welcome and thank you so much for tuning in to this podcast called Living with Endo, the A to Z of endometriosis. My name is Ellie Angel Mobs. I am an ambassador for Endometriosis Australia and we are all about raising awareness for this disease that affects one in nine women and those who identify as gender diverse. Now, March is a huge month here for the team. It is Endometriosis Awareness Month and there are so many exciting things planned that you can take part in, even in the comfort of your own lounge room. For all of the information, check out the Endometriosis Australia website. It is endometriosisaustralia.org. I'm really excited to share this episode with you because after I spoke to this wonderful person, I had learned so, so much. Dr. Karen Jones is a doctor based in Melbourne and she's a pain medicine specialist. Now, I had no idea what that meant before going into this chat. However, you will discover that this is the kind of person you want in your life. She deals with patients experiencing complex pain. Now, you're going to learn in this episode exactly what is pain, what is pain medicine, and what is endometriosis pain? What's going on in our bodies? Please enjoy this chat with Dr. Karen Jones. It is Living with Endo, the A to Z of endometriosis. Hey, Dr. Jones, thank you so much for joining the Endo Australia podcast. It's a pleasure to have your company. Thank you, Ellie. It's great to be here. So you studied medicine at Melbourne University and you specialised in anaesthetics. You went and completed your fellowship, did all that, but then you became fascinated with pain medicine and it's led to where you are now. How did you discover you had this passion for helping out patients with complex pain? Uh, I started out life as a, uh, an anaesthetist. So anaesthetists have a great interest in pain because we manage pain around the time of operations. We want all our patients to wake up comfortable. Uh, and we carry that uh, since probably the early 90s. We've all been uh, involved in pain management in the wards of the hospitals as well. So we go and visit our, our patients after surgery to check that they're managing okay, which has made a big difference to the recovery of people after surgery. Can I just say, uh, every single anaesthetist that I've had when I've had a surgical procedure, you are so lovely. Every, oh, I don't good. think I've had a bad <laughs> one because I think they realise that everyone's in this vulnerable position, different exactly. anxieties that people are going through, well, you, especially exactly. if you've never had a procedure before. And mm. it's like, it's like you're the, you know, an auntie or uncle just taking care of their niece yep. or nephew. It really is a yeah. beautiful relationship. Well, I, I have to say that when I started training many, many years ago, it was a little bit of a, uh, a specialty that people went into if they didn't want to be patient fronting because you only with the patient for such a short amount of time and then obviously they're asleep. Um, but I found that those, you know, 10, 15 minutes while you're getting the patient ready was the most important time to establish a trusting relationship because if you had a patient that went to sleep feeling relaxed and safe, that they would wake up much better than you know, if they were feeling like, you know, they were just a, a sausage in the factory mm. sort of thing. So I actually felt like that was one of my strengths as an anaesthetist. As I got older and had kids and had, you know, more experience of life, I realised that that was, that was what I could bring as a pain specialist as well. You know, that pain didn't always go away after surgery or people had this prolonged sort of problem with their health and that that you could apply the same principles. So you, 
as anaesthetists, we would manage pain around the time of operations, but there were a lot of people that had pain before and after their surgery or from other injuries or just out of the blue. And obviously with things like endometriosis. So I did anaesthetics for about 10 years and then because I felt the knowledge in pain medicine had just exploded in the 90s and beyond that, that um, I needed to, you know, learn a bit more about it. I did a postgraduate study and my boss at uh, the hospital that I worked at said, oh, well, you should be doing the pain specialty <laughs> thing. So um, they were good enough to sort of um, allow me time to keep my anaesthetics going, but train as a pain specialist. Wow. So that takes a couple of years when you're doing it on top of your original specialty. And yeah. now I do a bit of both, which is a sort of a resource, sort of a few of us within our group are both anaesthetists and pain specialists, but the other pain specialists we often work with, it's a very, very broad specialty. It's only been recognised by Medicare since 2005. Mm. And um, there are a broad range of people that are involved in pain. So some people are rehab physicians because they obviously um, deal with pain a lot, but there are some paediatricians and there are even some gynaecologists now who've done that training, which is fantastic. There are some psychiatrists, some neurosurgeons, so it's a very broad specialty because pain is so complex that it requires all sorts of different people to bring their knowledge and skills. And it's very much a, a specialty that encompasses not just Doctors, doctors aren't actually always the most important people. We do sort of diagnosis and triage, but often we're working ideally with a group of other healthcare professionals that include physios, psychologists, exercise physiologists, social workers, whatever is needed for the individual who has pain. You know, if you've had pain for 10 years, it's not just about the thing that caused the pain at the start of your journey, all the side effects I call of pain that impact on your mental health, on your social life, on your relationships with people. And I think that's why pelvic pain kind of became um, my passion because, you know, young women with pain since their period started, it impacts on their schooling, it impacts on them becoming a woman and feeling like an adult and being independent. You know, I've got patients who have had to stop work because of their pain and, you know, the difficulty in, in managing it and, you know, the impact on, you know, the things that people worry about, about their fertility, can they have a relationship, they can't have intercourse, you name it, the pain impacts on that. And that's why, you know, we involve a whole team to address all of those issues and bring together a coordinated management plan. So you did mention that pain is very complex Everyone experiences pain. Indifferent, it could be physical, emotional. How could you best describe pain? There is a definition of pain which was put together by the International Association for the Study of Pain. They define pain as an unpleasant sensory and emotional experience associated with actual or potential tissue damage. So what they're saying is pain is not just a physical sensation. It has emotional aspects as well as physical and the important part, I think we said before, was that the pain doesn't always match tissue damage. The good part of that is that if you have pain, it's pain, even if we can't see the tissue damage. And classically, the amount of tissue damage you have isn't actually a really um, well reflected in how much pain you have. The important part about that statement is that pain is always real. You know, if someone comes to me and says they have pain, it is pain. You know, there's none of this idea that, oh, you're exaggerating, oh, you've got pain because you're depressed or you're, you know, you put bunging it on to get sympathy. Mm. If you have, what you experience is your pain. 
And that's the most important thing that I find when people come and they say, oh, well, I had my laparoscopy and there were only two spots of endo, but I've got this terrible pain. And it's like, oh, that's okay. That makes sense to me. We will find out why mm. that is. Um, so pain is pain. It is never imaginary. I honestly have seen thousands of pain patients and there are, you know, just the most rare cases where people are kind of getting what we call secondary gain or there's sort of a, you know, a benefit for them to be sick. It's not what people do, normal people do. But the other thing is that pain is always emotional. It's wired into us. It's a protective mechanism. So the important thing to understand about pain is that it's a warning signal in our body. It doesn't definitely tell us that there's something damaged or pathological in the body. It's telling us your brain is weighing up all the things that are being delivered to it, all the messages that come from inside the body and outside the body, all the things that we see and hear and believe. Uh, it puts all those together and decides what we experience. And that's true about everything you know, our brain does. And we talk about the brain a lot in pain, but that in no way means that the pain is imaginary or psychological. Mm. Everything everybody experiences when they're conscious is a product of what our brain produces. And pain is one of those experiences. I remember when I first started the endo journey to try and get some sort of diagnosis and one doctor mm. said to me, oh, I think it's all in your head and there's nothing there because <laughs> that nothing showed up on a scan. This was, you know, 10 years ago. I just can't believe that comes out of someone's mouth. I know. And I know I'm not the only one because I've spoken to a bunch of endo warriors and they've been told very similar things. Mm. And then you walk out of there and you think, oh, am I crazy? What's going on? I know. And look, even when I explain to people that explanation of how pain works and that the brain is important. People come away and say, oh, she said it was all in my head. Well, yes, your brain is in your head. But <laughs> if I showed you a picture of how your brain works, um, you know, it's receiving all these messages coming up through every nerve from your pelvis and every other part of your body. And there's 86 billion neurons in your head and they're connected to hundreds and thousands of other neurons. And those neurons are constantly interacting with one another. You know, a message might come up from your pelvis. It's not pain at that point. It's a message. And it will go to the location services. It will go to the memory of previous pain. It will go to your problem-solving areas. It will go to uh, how much sleep you've had and, you know, how tired your brain is. And all that gets weighed up in a microsecond. And what pops out in your experience is a sum of all that activity in your brain. So that's why we kind of say pain is complex. But on the other hand, it isn't something that people can't understand. So what I think is really basic to pain management is people understanding their pain and taking back control of their health. Because all the stuff that happens to you while you're trying to get a diagnosis of endo and you have surgery, it's all kind of done to you. You know, it's all what we would call passive therapy. You have to show up, yeah. but you don't actually know what's going on. And you don't actually know how the drugs that are being, you're being told to take work. But if you do, you feel safer. So your pain is less threatening. If you understand why, you know, because you've had pain for a long time, your uh, nerves have got very efficient at sending messages and your brain has got very tuned into those messages, and the fact you can't sleep and can't work probably makes your pain experience more 
threatening you know your body's trying to say do something about this do something about this or your brain is telling you it's like that fight or flight response your brain's yeah. going into yeah well that happens because the first part of the brain that your messages get to from your body is the fight and flight center so that's at the very primitive bottom part of the brain we call the brain stem it releases adrenaline which is what gives you that heart rate going up that anxiety your muscles get tense you're ready to want to run away from something dangerous and that's very typical of acute pain but it can be happening at a low level with people with persistent pain the next part of the brain that you, the messages get to is the emotional centers what we call the limbic system and that's deciding is this okay or not okay in a millisecond when you see someone walking towards you you can tell if they're friend or foe and pain is dealt with in a somewhat similar way and then sort of the the uh, nuances and details are worked out in the thinking brain you know the big crinkly um, part of our brain that is much bigger in humans than other animals but animals feel you, you know when your pets and things are in oh, pain absolutely i just had to take my puppy to the vet because she had a uti she was in pain. oh she was in pain going to the oh. toilet i'm like this poor thing's going through something a human goes through but this she was there crying at me and it's, yeah. it was like a baby so it's so pain is a very social experience we know when an animal's in pain, we can, in fact, research is done on rats and you can actually score a rat's pain by looking at the expression on its face <laughs> because, and babies, you know, they can't tell us they've got pain, but there are ways of measuring pain in children that can't speak because they screw up their eyes and they curl up their lips and they shrink up their bodies. And we are mammals as well. So it makes a lot of sense that those primitive parts of the more primitive, non sort of conscious parts of the brain are actually what drives a lot of our behaviour. And to sort of understand, look, this is how we're wired. This isn't your you being, you know, hopeless and not coping. This is how you're wired to look after yourself and especially with things inside the body. Yeah. I think are much more mysterious. If you have a cut on your the surface of your hand, you know exactly where it is. You can look at it and say, oh, you know, I've been bitten by an ant or, you know, oh, I've got a broken arm, I can see it. When there's stuff going on inside your pelvis, it's very frightening because it often makes you feel a bit sick and uh, yucky. You know, it's got that sort of what we call a gut, you know, that gut feeling. It's just like, this isn't good. This is in a special part of my body and it doesn't feel right. But the other really important thing for people with endo, I think, to understand, because often the focus is on treating the endo, that the nervous system in the pelvis is connected by very few nerves. So there's a bit of sharing of nerves that goes on between the lining of the pelvis, obviously, where um, endometriosis can exist, um, with uh, the bladder and the bowel, and most importantly, I think, the pelvic floor. So the anatomy of that area means that if you have pain in um, painful periods or endometriosis with, you know, lesions that are inflamed, um, there can be some spread of symptoms and irritability of the bowel, of the bladder, and the pelvic floor can be very overactive and tight. And I, I imagine a lot of your listeners who've had pelvic floor physiotherapy know what I'm talking about. That, you know, I say to my patients, you know, your, your pelvic floor is sort of clenching and trying to protect you and hold that part still so it's not hurting. But over time, if you're clenching those muscles endlessly, they can be a source of pain. So I think we're in a pelvic pain clinic, what we're doing is sort of someone often comes to us who's had endo, had surgery or appropriate hormonal treatment, 
and then they've still got some pain and it's really distressing for people. We also see people who have had a negative laparoscopy, so nothing to find. Mm. And we see people who have all sorts of other related sort of pains related to, to pelvic function. And it's a matter of sort of, yes, you've, you have often if people have spent 10 years trying to get a diagnosis of endometriosis, they are of course thinking, well, the endo's back, you know, and often we're able to say, look, I don't think it may be, but all these other things have happened as well. You've got pelvic floor issues, your bladder can be irritated by those tight pelvic floor muscles, making you feel like I've got to pee all the time. Your bowel can be irritable. If you're taking strong medications that can make your bowel slow because and constipation, people often develop irritable bowel when they've got uh, pelvic pain. Yep. Uh, we look for dietary things that are affecting people can develop food intolerances. So we have a dietitian come into the picture, but understanding that is sometimes the, you know, the most important first step. So while I totally get that it's, it's hard to get a diagnosis of endo. And then of course you want people to deal with it when you, if there's still pain there, mm. But I think the, the growing awareness amongst um, medical practitioners and GPs and gynecologists is that, well, we probably need to look more broadly here. You've had good treatment for the endometriosis, but there's often all these other things that have kind of been there in the background while you had the endo and now need to be managed alongside it. Now, I have spoken to patients who've had the endo surgery. They've had the clean out, so to speak, the excision done, uh, myself included. Mm. But then the pain seems worse. Is that because there's now the scar tissue there growing and that's causing pain? Scar tissue is a bit of a tricky one. Like endo, there's very little relationship between the amount of scar tissue, unless it's incredibly, you know, severe, um, and the amount of pain. So we, and the problem with scar tissue is a we don't know if that's the source of the pain because it's normal it's quite common for things to be a little bit stuck um you know to have the odd adhesion here and there and the likelihood that that's the sole cause of pain is very is quite small and it can be a source of some of the pain but more commonly it's these other things that are going on the other problem with scar tissue is that if you cut it it comes back so um, you're not really going to solve the problem. And, and companies have spent millions of dollars trying to develop devices or pieces of material you can put in to stop adhesions forming and scar tissue forming, but it, none of them have been particularly successful. So the prevention is probably the key for scar tissue is, and that's why you know there's a, a growing, um, a lot of evidence that you have a diagnosis of, you know, get the diagnosis, but don't do repeated surgical treatments, which will cause more scar tissue, if possible. Now, pain medicine, there's a lot out there. What exactly is it? There are a lot of people practicing pain medicine, and it's very diverse. I think it's important to make sure that you're seeing, if you're going, being referred to a pain specialist, and that it needs to be someone who has the proper training and has a qualification from the Faculty of Pain Medicine, which is uh, part of the College of Anaesthetists. So they need to have done the exams, uh, the proper exams, because there are a lot of people that uh, use variations on that name that aren't exactly pain specialists. <laughs> um, so make sure you're going to um, a qualified practitioner. And 
in pain medicine, there should be someone that is providing you with what we call a comprehensive assessment, looking at all the details of your pain. What is it like? Where is it? What does it do? As a way of finding out what it's due to and then looking at the impact of that pain on you. You know, is it affecting your physical activity, your work activity, your social life, your relationships, all of those things that are what I call the sort of secondary effects of long-term pain and then can put together and work with you, not so much as a, you know, I want you to go and do this, but to come together with you to formulate a plan of things that will help you reverse some of those long-term effects of the pain. So there may be some specific things to address the pain itself. Medication is one of those things, but it plays a, a relatively minor role actually in, in most sorts of pelvic pain, but a lot of education and then linking you in with a team of people, often in your community is the best place to do that, that understand pain that will help you get your body moving again, because your body and your brain feel safer when it's moving and doing normal activities. Probably some specialist help, you know, including a, a pelvic floor physiotherapy. They're the, uh, the key people in our team in terms of dealing with those bladder, bowel and pelvic floor issues. Working with a psychologist, not because we think that the pain is imaginary or you're not coping with it, but because pain and long-term illness are stressful. And uh, we all have stress in our lives and learning those tools to deal with uncertainty, to deal with ups and downs of disappointments and of uh, treatment is really, really helpful. One of the best things I've done over the years to try and manage my endo pain is to find a psychologist that I'm happy to have conversations with and really open up to and I trust. It was the greatest thing for me to go in there and just blurt out all the feelings and just know that it's normal to feel this way yeah. when you're going through pain. And and the good thing is too, if you go to your GP, you are able to get a mental health plan. Exactly. And that way you're able to get the benefits from Medicare as well, because for a lot of people, yeah. the price to go and see a professional psychologist or a psychiatrist can seem quite intimidating, but with the mental health plan, that can take a big financial burden off you. I agree. And um, there are, the thing is to make sure when you're doing, you know, that therapy that you're learning skills, the whole aim of pain medicine and pain management is self-management. As I said before, uh, endometriosis and a diagnosis in some ways is good, but it takes a lot of, you, you feel like you know, your life's been taken over by medical practitioners, you know, <laughs> um, and you need to take back that control. What can I do? to live my best life? You know, what are the things I can do to, to take responsibility for the bits of my health that I can? You do need a team around you. You do need professionals helping you, but you need to be in control of that process and understand it as well as you can so that you're not sort of at the end of the day going, oh, well, if I'd known that, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have you know, chosen that treatment. You know, you need knowledge is power. And I think as women, you know, we need to do that in all aspects of our life because the whole reason we're talking today is because it's taken so long for these issues to be addressed. Mm. You know, it's only because of consumers pushing that the issue of endometriosis and pelvic pain has come to the fore. 
that's a great indication that the, the next generation of people that have these sorts of illnesses will be much better served. And it's important to get those conversations started early. So, you know, school aged, getting the exactly. chat in, exactly. with girls. I went and spoke to my old school last week and was overwhelmed when I brought up endometriosis and had girls in tears just going, oh my God, thank you so much for at least talking about it and letting my friends yeah. know because they don't understand that a painful period isn't normal. So one mm. thing to take out of this, Dr. Karen Jones, is that pain is not normal. Well, I think pain is a normal part of life. You know, it's warning us. It is normal in that if we don't feel pain, that's dangerous. You know, if you are one of, there's a couple of families in the world that don't have pain sensors and that's very dangerous. Pain is a normal protective mechanism. We learn from it not to put our hand on the stove <laughs> and things like that. But pain that stops you going to school, mm. that stops you doing normal activity isn't normal. So it needs to be checked. Um, it doesn't mean it will be like that forever. Um, but yes, I think there needs to be good information for teenagers to say, oh, my periods are really heavy and really painful and this needs to be checked. It doesn't mean they have to have a laparoscopy when they're very young, but they need to have treatment to quieten those periods down yeah. because a lot of us, um, you know, have grown up very strong and healthy and perhaps having too many, you know, starting our periods very early and having a lot of them. And that sets up that sensitivity. So it may not be endo, it may just it may be painful periods and we need to quieten them down um, because that repeated episodes of pain makes the system more sensitive. And again, when you when that's happening, it's driving a process of sensitising and making the brain more and more kind of tuned into pain and it stops people exercising. So things like exercise and normal activities um, will counteract that. There's lots of fear, I think, about, you know, if you've got pain, what it means and it's normal to to have pain, but it's not normal for it to... Put your life on hold. Put your life on hold, have you in bed, you know, all through your period, you know, all those sorts of things. And the really important thing, I guess, to know is that no matter how long you've had pain, those sensitivities and patterns can be reversed. You know, they're not permanent changes. Your body continues to heal after you've had surgery. People say, oh, that's a, my patient said, oh, they said it was a mess in there. Well, it was when they, they shouldn't have said that because it actually <laughs> heals after that. So people have this picture in their mind actually of what might be inside their body that's not actually what it will end up being. Your body always heals. Your brain is continually adjusting. And if you're doing healthy things, looking after it, sleeping properly, eating properly, exercising, keeping yourself psychologically healthy, then those changes that I talked about will keep changing and improving. So it's never a set a set system. It's always uh, able to recover. And everyone is different. And if they do, if there is someone listening who wants to find their pain specialist in their area, where's the best place to go to? Is there a website to ensure we, we uh, find the right pain, qualified people? Yeah, yeah. Pain Australia is the uh, consumer body that uh, is a good uh, starting point. Your GP may be able to refer you. Most big public hospitals have pain clinics. They may not be pelvic pain clinics, but they're a good starting point. There are some specific examples on the Pain Australia website that pertain to pelvic pain. So I can I can give you some some 
uh, links you can put on the website at some point. We'll share these links on the Endo Australia website, which is endometriosisaustralia.org. There is a wealth of information there for everyone. That's probably the best for people. Dr. Karen Jones, thank you so much for a fascinating insight into how the brain works as a pain specialist. And if people want to see, you are based in Melbourne um, at the Royal Women's as well in the Persistent Pelvic Pain Clinic. So if you've got the opportunity, go and see Dr. Jones. Thank you again. Really, you've opened my mind up to so many things now. Thanks so much for, for having me, Elliot. It's been a pleasure. Let me be honest with you. I could have spent hours talking to Karen. It was such a fascinating chat. And I hope that you took something out of that. If you'd like to hear more of the Living With Endo podcast, there is so many you can listen to, including many of our ambassadors. Professor Jason Abbott, he gives you the 101 of endometriosis. That is the very first episode. Highly recommend you check that out. And don't forget, if you're really enjoying this, leave us a star, give us a good rating, leave a comment. We'd love to hear your feedback. And hopefully you'll join us again very soon for another episode. And don't forget, while it is March... We are raising money so you can get to endometriosisaustralia.org to find out everything that is happening for March, which is Endometriosis Awareness Month. Stay safe, stay well, stay happy, and I'll chat with you soon.